Welcome to Know Your Bible, a program presented by the Churches of Christ and devoted to helping you understand God's Word. The Bible is a book inspired by God that contains answers to your questions. The Bible reveals Jesus and explains His sacrifice, contains God's plan for the family, and timeless principles of parenting. Also has the truth about life and death. The Bible contains great financial advice and also answers questions of morality. Join us as we look for answers to your questions and help you know your Bible. Good morning. Welcome to Know Your Bible. We're glad you're back today as we study some of your questions on Know Your Bible. See if we can get caught up a little bit this week. We've always got so many stacked up from our viewers because they wonder a lot of things about the Bible. And that's what we do on this program. If you're watching for the first time, as we just answer viewers' questions, uh, there's a website and a phone number at the bottom of the screen. Use those anytime to get in touch with us and tell us what your question is. And it may be specifically about a, a verse or a chapter or a topic or a doctrine in the Bible, or it may be something about your life or something going on in the news uh, that you wonder what the Bible has to say about that. And we'll, we'll look it up for you. We'll try to find an answer. And Occasionally we have to say, well, the Bible doesn't talk about that, but very rarely there's almost always a biblical principle that we can find about whatever is going on in this old world. So give us a call, log on, tell us what you'd like us to talk about. Let me introduce my friend Toby Levering. He's back to help us today. Hi, Toby. Good morning, Steve. Glad you're here and ready to go, and uh, we're going to get, go as fast as we can. But first, start with one for our viewing audience. I'll always give them a little trivia question. Who was Joshua's father is our question today. Uh, Joshua followed up after Moses and took the people into the promised land. Who was his daddy? And we'll tell you the answer at the end of the program. See if you can get that one right in your household. All right, Toby, you got the first one today, so get us rolling. Sure. One of our viewers would like to know, what do you say to God in order to be saved? Well, <clears throat> it is popular among uh, churches uh, to have something called the sinner's prayer. You might even hear a religious TV program where the preacher will say, if you'll just say these words with me or pray this prayer with me. Uh, many of those things are not found in the Bible anywhere. Uh, and I uh, understand uh, the sentiment of what they're trying to get after. I think probably the best biblical one is found in Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. Let's look at that together on the screen. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, <clears throat> and you believe in your heart, that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess and are, are saved. And so as Christians, uh, part of the process of being saved is the profession of faith, confessing that Jesus is Lord. Uh, if you come to the, the Northside congregation where Steve and I are ministers, perhaps you will see someone respond to the gospel invitation and usually uh, someone who will take their profession, meaning they will ask them, do you believe Jesus is Lord? Some cases people might say, tell me what you believe about Jesus. But the essence is clear. They're asking you to make a confession with your mouth, uh, the things which you believe in your heart. Now, <clears throat> one word of caution here. Some people might take Romans 10, 9, and 10 just and just look at it by itself and say, well, that's all you got to do. And if you're in that case, you need to study a little more of your Bible. Now, there are many other verses that talk not only about the profession of faith, but the importance of <clears throat> repenting of your sin, the importance of being baptized into Christ. Uh, that's all part of the process. But if you're looking for something to say, I think the best thing is probably Jesus is Lord. And I think that's the best profession you can make. All righty. Uh, viewers got a question about communion. 
should you take communion if the person serving it is not living a Christian life? Now, some of our viewers may be confused by this because uh, they attend the Catholic Church or somewhere where the priest does all the serving of communion. Uh, but in many Protestant churches, most uh, the communion is passed out among the, the audience uh, by deacons or by regular members uh, that are taking a turn doing that. And so this viewer says, communion's coming around, the guy carrying the, the plate and handing it to me, I know he's not living a Christian life, so should I take communion? Well, let me point out a few things. Uh, first of all, uh, I agree that the church should not condone uh, overt sin. So if uh, this person you're talking about is involved in some kind of overt sin that everybody knows about and uh, he's just defaming the church and all that, well, the elders need to do some discipline and he needs to be uh, talked to about the sin, not necessarily about serving <laughs> communion. Uh, but we shouldn't condone outright overt sin. Uh, secondly, however, nobody's perfect. So to say, so one person is not living a Christian life by your definition uh, is a little bit risky. Uh, all of us have things that are wrong in our lives. Uh, but to me, the question is bigger here. The focus that you've got, uh, to be kind, I think you're focused on the wrong thing here. If you're worrying about who is serving the communion and their life, I think you've missed the point of communion. So let's look at a verse that maybe will help you. And that verse is 1 Corinthians 11:28. Uh, Paul says very clearly <clears throat> about communion, a man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. I think that cuts to the heart of the, ma heart of the matter. Uh, your job is not to examine everybody serving communion and see how you think they're doing in the Christian life. Uh, your job is to examine yourself. Think about the past week. Think about how you've done as a follower of Christ. Think about what Christ has forgiven in your life uh, because of His death, burial, and resurrection. And then take of the communion between you and Him after having examined yourself. Uh, it's not about analyzing everybody else in the building and making sure they're on track. It's examining yourself. So I think that's the, the key to that. And... Uh, think about that the next time the communion is passed. All right, your turn, Toby. Yep. A viewer asked the question, does the Bible say anything about premarital sex being wrong? Well, very uh, succinctly, yes, the Bible says that in, in several places. <coughs> we'll look at a few together. Uh, sexual immorality is uh, the general term that the Bible uses in the modern translations, and uh, those can refer to anything, including fornication, uh, sex between two unmarried individuals, uh, sexual idolatry, adultery, prostitution, homosexuality, uh, all sorts of sexual sins are listed, and many times in Scripture it's just sexual immorality. And the Bible is clear, it's definitely something uh, that is wrong and it's improper. Uh, let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18 to start. Paul writes, flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. So sexual immorality is not uh, at all what God desires. Now, some people take that too far and think, well, you know, sex is bad or, or, or evil. Uh, and no, uh, between a husband and wife, it's a very good thing. 
Uh, it's designed to be the glue that brings two people and helps them forge a bond. Uh, and uh, it's a physical bond, but there's an emotional bond and a spiritual bond. In fact, Paul later says in the same letter that husbands and wives ought, you know, ought not to not disengage from the practice. Uh, they ought to uh, do that regularly for the purpose of keeping the marriage healthy. Uh, so the Bible doesn't say that sex is wrong. It says that sexual immorality, sex in the wrong context, in the wrong place, the wrong time, uh, with the wrong people. And that's because God wants what's best for us. God's not trying to hurt us or harm us. Yeah, he wants what's best for us. He designed us, and uh, He knows what's best for us. And we look at all the uh, rampant sexually transmitted diseases and the uh, effect that sexual immorality has had. Um, I heard someone once say that the sexual revolution is over and everyone lost. Uh, it's just... Uh, clearly not good for us, and that's clear why God set up those boundaries. Let's also look at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 3. But among you, and he's specifically speaking to Christians here, uh, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed, for these are improper for God's holy people. So I think that Bible is as clear as it can be that God uh, did create sex, but He had created it to be enjoyed between uh, a man and a woman in the covenant of marriage. The Bible's pretty clear on that. And yep. uh, like you said, the closer we follow the Bible and its principles, the better off we better are in this Better things go, right? Uh, we changed a lot of things, and sometimes I think, how's that working out for yeah. us? You know, <laughs> we thought this would be a good idea, and boy, it messed everything up. Yep. Uh, so the Bible is God's Word, and that's what we teach on this program, and we like to invite you to study the Bible uh, with us beyond this program. And we've got some free materials that we're happy to send you. Uh, we pay for everything, including the postage, so you can study free of charge, and uh, we're happy to make that available to you. There's an opening course that we have. It's an eight-lesson course. You see it on the screen now. Just a good overview of the Bible. It's not anybody's doctrine or any church doctrine. It's just Bible teaching. Uh, and it starts pretty basic. It starts with folks that uh, may wonder about the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Well, that's the first two lessons. And it helps you get straightened out on that so you understand the two parts of your Bible. And then the other six lessons add more things about the Bible that are, uh, you need to know to understand the Bible. Uh, beyond teaching you a lot about the Bible. I think this course helps you form a regular habit of Bible study. I think you'll get where you enjoy spending time in the Bible and seeing what God has to say and you'll continually discover new things uh, no matter how many times you've been through the Bible. There's always a verse that pops out and says, well I didn't think about that before and that's, uh, that's, that's good. I can use that today. So studying the Bible is a great thing and we're happy to provide some tools for you. Absolutely free of charge, phone number, website, use those, get in touch with us. We'll get it started for you. All right, viewer wants to know about uh, not giving, not tithing. Is it wrong to go to church without tithing? Most of the time, we don't have enough for the offering. Well, uh, I'm sorry that you're in that bad financial condition that's uh, uh, pretty bad not to have enough to give some to the Lord, but we won't discuss that right now. Uh, let's talk about the concept of not giving and whether that's wrong or not. Uh, is it wrong to go to church without tithing? Well, I'd say no, it's not wrong. In fact, I've gone to church occasionally without putting anything in the collection plate because I, I forgot 
wrote, I didn't write my check before I left, or I left it somewhere at home instead of bringing it. Uh, so I might call that poor planning, <laughs> uh, a bad idea, but I, I wouldn't call it wrong. Uh, but it might show a lack of faith, and uh, let's talk about that a little bit. Uh, let me just mention, first of all, in the New Testament, we're not commanded to tithe, and I know a lot of people just use that term for giving, so I'm going to go right ahead and use that. Uh, we're not commanded to give 10%. That's what tithe means. Uh, but the principle is still good. The principle of giving first and then being blessed, I think, is what our viewer needs to understand. Uh, the principle, let's look at Proverbs chapter 3, verses 9 and 10, where it's expressed. Uh, the wise man said, Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase. So your barns will be filled with plenty, and your vats will overflow with new wine. What God taught was, of course back then everybody was basically farmers, so He said your first fruits, the first thing that comes in, whether it's your wheat or your corn or your grapes or whatever you're growing, you give the first part and then I'll bless you. Now it takes a lot of faith to give away the first part of your harvest, uh, but that's what God taught. If you do that, I'll bless you. Your barns will be full, your vats will be full. Uh, that's the principle. You give first, then I'll bless you. Okay. So what our viewer is saying, well, I don't have enough to give. Well, you've got something. I mean, I don't know how little it is, but you've got something. So I'd say start by honoring this principle. Say, God, I don't think I've got enough to give, but I'm going to give this much anyway. And I, I think you'll be surprised that you'll get by on the rest of it. God will work ways to bless you that you'll get by on the rest. I always say that God can do more with 90% than we can do with 100%. Uh, so that's a good place to start is 10%. But if you just can't, if you don't have that much faith, if you don't think that's going to work, give something and see if He doesn't bless you. And then the next week give a little bit more and see if He doesn't bless you with that. Uh, I think the principle is always true. He will reward faith. So uh, try Him out. In fact, God Himself says, test me in this. Uh, if you don't think it will work, just test me. I'll show you it will work. So it's not a matter of being wrong not to put something in the plate. It's a matter of a lack of faith. And you need to show some faith in God for Him to bless you. So follow that advice. Give a little bit this week. Uh, find out you're blessed and give a little bit more the next week. Well, the scriptures say that each one should set aside what he's purposed in his heart, and that just shows forethought. Mm -hmm. And the kind of the nature of the question is we kind of get to church and there's not enough. And, you know, I sometimes it just takes, like you said, the faith, but you also start out by saying, Lord, you know, when you get that first paycheck and you sit down to write your budget and make a plan mm -hmm. and you just put God first, that becomes a good discipline to get into and it's good for you. So, exactly right. All right, the next question uh, viewer asked is, is Ethiopia where the Bible started? Uh, well, the answer to the question is no. Uh, it, I suppose it could have been, but it's not likely. We don't know where the Garden of Eden is today because of the flood. Now, there's lots of people who read Genesis chapter 2, verse 8, and it says there was a garden in the east. So they look at the east, and then it says there was uh, four rivers uh, in that garden. And so they look over there, and oh, lo and behold, there's, there's four rivers about in that region, and they surmise, they 
they say, hey, that must be about the place where it started. Well, that would be good reasoning if the world had always been the same. But, of course, we even know today that the world is always continually changing. That's nothing new. And, of course, there was a very large uh, world cataclysmic event that the Bible speaks of later in Genesis uh, known as the flood. And the Bible describes it as a worldwide event covering even the tops of the very tallest mountain. So it was a, it happened all over the world and of course the way that the water came up from the springs <coughs> of the deep and the rains were coming down, uh, it changed everything drastically. And I have no doubt that it had uh, very much changed how the landscape looked and uh, wherever the Garden of Eden existed, uh, it is in a far different place, probably washed over and buried, and uh, in a, in a, definitely the world looks different than it used to. So uh, all of that's interesting to think about, and, but it's trivial uh, because you can really argue the point either way, and you have to remember that the world's always been changing. Let's look at Second Peter chapter 3, verse 6, where Peter said, uh, By these floodwaters <clears throat> also... The world of that time was deluged and destroyed. And so it was a very different world, and we do not know uh, where the Garden of Eden is today or was then. So, a good question. All right, thank you. Uh, if you want to know about races intermixing, what's the Bible say about races intermixing? <coughs> Excuse me. Well, two parts to the Bible. So let's make sure we get them separated, uh, the Old Testament and the New Testament. The Old Testament, which we're not under anymore, the, that was the law for the Israelites and all of that. Uh, in the Old Testament, God told the Israelites, do not intermarry with the pagans. Now, it wasn't really about the races, it was about the religion. Uh, the pagans worshiped idols. The Israelites were the only people that worshiped the one true God. So God told them, don't intermarry with them because that idolatry will corrupt you. Uh, you're, if you marry pagan wives, they'll talk you into worshiping their idols. And, all, and that's exactly what happened when the Israelites did ignore God and marry in uh, with the pagans. So he did that because he wanted his people to stay true to him. And any time they went after idols, they started worshiping idols, they got in big trouble. And the biggest way to get into that was to intermarry with the pagans. I think probably there was some of it he also wanted to keep the bloodline pure uh, for Jesus to come through uh, the Israelite bloodline perhaps. But most of it was about the idols. So the Old Testament does say don't marry that race of people. But it wasn't about the race, it was about their religion. Now the New Testament has no such prohibitions about intermarrying with another race or tribe or whatever you want to call it. It doesn't say anything about that being wrong. But it does say the believers should marry believers. Believers should be with believers uh, and not with unbelievers. Now it's not just about marriage. He uses the term yoke. And let's look at that to, uh, in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 6 and verse 14, I'll read it to you. Paul said, uh, don't be yoked together with unbelievers. For what does righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? What does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? Okay. So that's the, the rule in the New Testament is Christians ought to marry Christians. Christians ought to hang out with Christians. Christians ought to have business relationships with Christians. Now, can you do the other? Up to a point. 
unless that religion of the, the unbeliever starts to affect you, then you, you know you've got a bad relationship. So it's not about races anywhere. It's about the religion. That's the part we ought to be uh, much more careful about. So the Bible doesn't talk about races intermixing today. Uh, nothing wrong with that from a Bible point of view as long as that person is a believer. Now, we always say it makes things more difficult. Uh, in marriage counseling we tell people that the more you have in common, the more your background is the same, uh, the more your cultures are alike, the better chance you're going to have of getting, getting along. But uh, the Bible doesn't say anything wrong about it or anything against it. All right, uh, we mention each week that we're kept on the air by the Churches of Christ in your area. And we like to mention some each week that support us and help us stay on the air. Uh, today I want to mention the East Point Church of Christ uh, out on the east side of Wichita, 127th Street out there where the K96 comes around. Uh, easy to see from K96 and you'll know where you're going. But uh, the East Point Church of Christ, great group of folks. Uh, have a lot of mission, uh, medical mission work over in Africa and do a lot of good works uh, around the world and here in Wichita. Uh, so drop in and visit them sometime. Uh, Patrick Barber is the minister there, a great young man. I think you'd enjoy hearing him preach and meeting the folks there. If you're looking for a church home, I know you'd be warmly welcomed. Uh, or if you just know somebody from East Point, tell them that you watch this program and you appreciate them providing it for you. Of course, wherever you are in the Know Your Bible viewing area, there's probably a Church of Christ close to you. and Drop in and say hi to them sometime. Tell them you like the program. We appreciate them helping us stay on the air. All right, Toby. Yes, a viewer has a question about a specific verse, and we answer those from time to time on this program. Does Philippians 2, verse 10 mean every creature ever made, even people who have already died? Okay, well, to understand this question, we probably should look at Philippians chapter 2, verse 10. When we look at 9 and 10, it gives us a little bit of context. Therefore, God exalted him, he's talking about Jesus here, to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth <clears throat> under the earth. It is my conviction that the answer to your question is an affirmative yes, that, that every knee will bow to the name of Jesus because he is Lord. And that's really what you're doing uh, when you are taking a knee in a figurative or symbolic or maybe a literal sense uh, to someone is you're declaring that you are uh, subservient to them, that you submit to them, that you yield your will to theirs. Uh, in the ancient cultures, the term Lord was something that, that uh, designated that, that you were the master and the, the ruler, that you were in charge. What you said has absolute authority. And, of course, that's what we're saying when we uh, call Jesus Lord and bow our knee to Him uh, in a figurative or literal sense. Uh, I do believe that everyone will bow their knee, and that will e either happen in this world <clears throat> or it will happen at the judgment day. Uh, regardless of who you are and the choices that you've made in your life, you can choose to bow and yield your life fully to Him in this world, <clears throat> or at the judgment day you will bow and yield yourself to the Lordship and the authority of Christ. And uh, by that authority alone will you be judged. So uh, I think absolutely yes, and uh, Philippians 2, 9 and 10 is very clear. And so I want to be on the side of that equation that bows my knee 
uh, that yields myself to his lordship now uh, before the judgment day uh, when it's uh, too late. All right, good answer. <coughs> All right, got a semi-humorous question, <laughs> at least humorous to me. Uh, he wants to know, should Christians have radar detectors? <laughs> well, I know it's not a humorous <laughs> question if you're serious about it and, and wonders, should a uh, Christian have a radar detector that sort of helps you get around the law. Uh, I thought when I read this, this, this would be a good point counterpoint. We could, we could, we could argue both sides of this. Sure, sure. Uh, one side I could argue is, well, the purpose of a radar detector is to get around the law, to not obey the government. And we're told to obey the government. So, well, we shouldn't have a radar detector if that's our purpose is to circumvent the law. But then on counterpoint, I could say, well, Christians are supposed to be good stewards of their money <laughs> and, and spending a lot of money on traffic fines is not, not good stewardship. <laughs> I could argue this one for a long time. Uh, no, I think there is a, a point to that that uh, really is kind of serious. You ought to consider it. There are places uh, with traffic traps, speed traps, and things like that in the country. Now, I don't uh, travel much. I don't drive travel much. If I did, I mean, if I was a traveling salesman, uh, I would probably have a radar detector just to protect me from speed traps uh, because there's some small towns in America that are notorious. I just read in the paper the other day that one up in Oregon, uh, they'd been doing it for 20 years, and that was their whole budget for the whole city. They got it from this one little speed trap, and uh, a judge ruled against them and told them to pay all the fines back to people because it was so <laughs> so un, un, unfair. Uh, and there are a few of those around and protecting yourself from those when it's, I mean, it, it's obviously a road that can handle a 40 mile speed or something and they've got the speed limit set at 20 just to trap you. So I could argue that that's just good common sense to have a radar detector. But in general, if you're trying to live by the law and uh, not break it, you, you won't get many tickets if you're not uh, not set, setting out to, to circumvent the laws in any way. So you can take it either way you want. If you want a radar detector, go <laughs> ahead. <laughs> I don't have one. <laughs> that is an interesting question. Yeah. We, we get a lot of variety on this program, that's for sure. There's, there are no two episodes alike. Yep. Speaking about uh, being good stewards and all that, that question I, uh, we had about going to church and not tithing, mm -hmm. and the person said they didn't have enough money. Uh, thing I didn't mention, we probably should mention <coughs> them. It may not be your faith that's a problem. It may be your budgets that's a problem. Uh, you may have enough. You're just spending it in the wrong places. Now I'm not saying I know that, but there are a whole lot of people in this world today that have lots of income or enough income uh, to <coughs> give to God and to take care of everything else, uh, but they spend it on the wrong thing. And there's ways to get help with that. Uh, at Northside. We just finished a Financial Peace University, Dave Ramsey's operation, and then we also teach Crown Financial occasionally. It's ways to help you understand your budget and be a good steward of God's money. Uh, so if you are in trouble that way, find some place that has a Ramsey course or buy some books and, and work on that. Get that taken care of. All right, a little advice there. Mm -hmm. Trivia question, who was Joshua's father? <laughs> Actually, this is not just a trivia question, it's a riddle that some people use <laughs> uh, because his daddy's name was Nun. Joshua 1.1, it says Joshua, the son of Nun. So some people say what uh, person in the Old Testament didn't have a father? 
Uh, well, he did have a father. He just had kind of a strange <laughs> name. We're glad you've been with us today, and we invite you to be back with us next week on Know Your Bible for more of your questions. Till then, you have a blessed day. Know Your Bible has been presented by the Churches of Christ in your area. Churches of Christ are non-denominational, and each congregation is an independent group of Christians seeking to do God's will. Our goal is simple New Testament Christianity. We follow the Bible as our only guide. Contact us with any questions, and we encourage you to visit a Church of Christ near you.